Welcome to Karura's weekly podcast. Thank you so much for taking your time to journey with us. We hope your spiritual life will be transformed as you listen in. We start in three, two, one. Amen. So it is that time to hear the word of God and bringing us the word of God is Reverend Shiramba. And even as he comes to on stage, I want to just appreciate a couple of people who are still following us online. Rose Mwaura, Dinda Mwongo, Shiro Wanjiro, Anthony Muraithi, Betty Githinji. We see you online and thank you for your comments and thank you for continuing being with us and everybody else who has joined us online. Karibu sana, Reverend Shiramba. Thank you. Thank you very much, Imani, for leading us very well and the worship team. May the Lord bless you so much. For those of you who may be visiting with us, we've been going through the book of First Corinthians. And we encourage those, of course, who have been with us to continue reading that book. It's such a rich book, and I believe that the Lord will bless you. We started this series two years ago, and we, it is, it, we call it Grounded. That is grounded into the Word of God. And uh, today we continue with uh, that particular book, and we'll be looking at chapter 11. And our topic today is the Holy Communion, part two, because at some point we did look at the whole topic of the Holy Communion. I want us to uh, just stand up together and read the word of God. And we are reading today from verse, uh, chapter 11 from verse 17 to 34. Last week we looked uh, at uh, chapter 11 from verse 1 to 16. So this is basically a continuation. Uh, let us read together. Uh, if you're able to project your voice, then we can read together. Verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 27. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, 
When you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I'll give you further directions. This is the word of the Lord. Please take your seats. Thank you so much for reading along with me. Um, the, uh, this is the sermon outline, and like I mentioned, the sermon, as, for those of you who take notes, the sermon outline is very much uh, like last week, just a few changes, but very much like last week. And the reason for that is it is the same chapter. It is the same topics. It's a continuation of the same topics that Paul is addressing. And so we first look at the whole area of mission. What, what exactly is mission? And as you saw the last time, mission has the three components. And I'll begin with the first component. That is called and sent. When you want to use Google Maps, they usually like to know where is your location. You know? And the reason they want to know where your, is your location, they want to know exactly where you are so that they are able to help you from where you are to be able to, to help you to where you're going. Having a starting point. It helps them to have a start point so to, to, to take you to where you are. And, 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 and it, it, this particular time, the people in Corinth seem to be having a lot of problems in terms of their starting point, where exactly they started, where their story in their faith started. And so you realize that they are divided. In fact, Paul begins 1 Corinthians in chapter 1 from verse 10. He tells them, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another what you say and what you say, and that you may, there may be no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Caiaphas. Still another say, I follow Christ. And Paul asks in verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? What Paul is telling them is, what was your starting point? What was the starting point of your story? Was it Paul? Paul was not even crucified for you. In fact, Paul is so, is so clear in this passage. He says, I I, I, I passed on to you what I received as of first importance. He's saying this thing is important, but even I received it. I was not even there when on that night that Jesus was crucified, even when he was breaking the bread. He says, I was not there. He probably even thinks of Peter on that night when Jesus was about to be crucified, when he was breaking the bread, and on that night he was going to be crucified. Peter denied him. So Paul is saying even Peter himself cannot possibly be the beginning of your story. Apollos, of course, was not there. And so th these people, they seem to follow one leader or another, and the leader seems to be the critical thing, seems to be the main focus. But also underlying the leaders they follow is this negative ethnicity. There are those who are, who are of Jewish background. They prefer to associate themselves with Peter, who was a Jew. And those who were from Gentile backgrounds, they preferred to associate themselves with Apollos. Very much like what we do in this country, when especially at a time like this, you'll find people wanting to associate with particular leaders because people feel maybe if our leader is on the table, he's up there, then we will, we will be represented one way or another, whether it's true or not. But it's just that, 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 
that negative ethnicity that sometimes comes that feels I must be there, I have to have it. And so they are dividing themselves along these lines and saying, you know me, I belong to Peter, I belong to Apollos and so on. Of course, some of the leaders, they followed some of these leaders either because of their charisma or their intellectual prowess and among other reasons. But Paul tells them this in verse 18 of chapter 1. He tells them, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are, be, who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I'll frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made the foolish? Has not made foolish the wisdom of the world? Is, in other words, Paul is telling them that these people you're following because of their wisdom, these people you're following maybe because they have, they have deep philosophy or whatever it is that you follow, whoever you follow, he's telling them, these were not you of the foundation of your story. He continues to tell them about some of the things that, uh, uh, that, he, that the, some of the leaders are following. Because some of them are following some leaders maybe because they are into miraculous. They are powerful leaders. They can, they, can, they can pray for people and people can get healed and all that. And they're beginning to follow those leaders as a source. And so Paul says in verse 22, yes, Jews demand signs. That is miracles and all stuff like that. And Greeks demand wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jewish and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. There is no boasting, he's telling them, because Christ is it all, not these people that they are worshipping. They are getting into negative competition around leadership, around people. And so Paul says again, speaking to them still in verse 1, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become our wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore it is written, let the one who boasts, boast about the Lord. Not about Peter, not about Paul, not about Apollos, but it has to be about God. Because he's the one who has died for us. He's the, he's the one who gives us the foundation of our story of salvation. Others, of course, are just divided. They are bringing divisions and confusion and they're just lost from where they are, maybe because of spiritual maturity. In, 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 in chapter 3, from verse 1 to 3, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as a people who are still wildly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still wildly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not wildly? This quarreling and jealousy just as a result of maturity. Immaturity. And this immaturity is either because some of them have either just come to know the Lord, but it's also an immaturity because of a lack of engaging in the word of the Lord. A lack of engaging with God and growing spiritually. So that you can be part of what God is doing. You can walk with the Lord. You can be, continue to be Christ-like and continue to engage with the Lord. And so some of these people considered these servants of God to be sources of their call and their mission. But Paul tells them, no, that is not the people who call you. And these are not the people who can send you. You cannot be doing things because of these people because they never sent you. And they never called you. And so he says in chapter 3, verse 5, What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you, 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 you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God, only God who makes all things grow. 
others, as Paul tells us in still writing to these Corinthians much earlier, as we see the divisions and the confusion in terms of people going different directions because they have forgotten their original story, the source of their story. He says this in chapter 4 from verse 18. Some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you. Some of the other reasons you see these divisions is when people begin to get lost, when people begin to, have, to lose direction of where the source of their story is, is arrogance. And that brings divisions in the body of Jesus Christ. But there were other, there were other, uh, there were other reasons for these divisions as a result of this loss of understanding of course where they were, they were coming from. There was immorality and there was boasting. In, in chapter 5, when he's writing to them, he tells them from verse, chapter 5, verse 6, he tells them, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may, you may, you may be a new unleavened batch as you, as you really are. For Christ our Passover lamb has been crucified. Therefore let us keep the festival, not the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The other reason, as they continued now losing direction, they, got, they began to get into immorality and everybody doing their own things. The, the results were, Paul writes again to them, still in chapter 5, he takes them, some of the things that are coming up is sexual immorality, there is greed, there is idolatry. People are going in, back into the temples of the, the worshipping the, 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 the idol temples and then coming into the house of God. And in those temples of the, 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 the idols that they had, some of the things they had was orgies. You know, so for some reason, uh, most uh, uh, of this, this idol worship would usually lead to orgies. You may recall when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt and Moses went to the mountain and they decided to make a golden calf. What they ended up in was orgies, sexual immorality, drunkenness, and all that. This, this drunkenness is what they were now beginning to bring into the house of God when they were celebrating the Holy Communion. So Paul says some of you are getting drunk and some of you are becoming swindlers. The result was there were lawsuits among believers because of this kind of behavior that they were engaging in. And so from in chapter 6, in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, Paul said, but instead one brother takes another to court, and this is in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have, complete, you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. And so Paul draws their attention to go back to their original story. Who is it that had called them? Paul draws their attention to the Holy Communion. That which reminds him. I found this story of the Holy Communion so powerful. And I find the mainline churches and the churches that have been around for centuries, they seem to have understood this concept so well. And, and, and for me, I just, this, this last week I called one of my friends, he's called Canon Francis Omondi, he's, a, he's, a, he's a an Anglican canon, and I asked him, why, why is it that in the mainline churches, the pulpit is on the side, and even the choir, they sit on the side, and at the middle of the church is the cross and the Holy Communion table. And he told me, that it is because in the word, when we're preaching the word, the preacher has to go and study and understand and interpret it as it is. Or to, to, to bring it to people where they are. 
as it is. But in regard to the Holy Communion, Paul himself felt that he was not going to even change anything. And that is why he told them that what I received, I am giving to you as it is. And he told me, it is because the Holy Communion reminds us of our original story, where our story in faith started from. And so that when you and I get to a place where we begin to be confused or distracted by life, where we begin to feel that there are other things that are the origins of our story. Maybe you've just bought some little new nice car and you begin to feel this is my old story. This is where my story originated. Maybe you just bought some little nice plot and you begin to feel this is my everything. You just got a new job. You just went into a new school and, and things like that. And you begin to feel this is, my, this is the origin of my story. He says the, the, the Holy Communion brings us back to where our original story begins it brings us to our starting point and so then Paul calls them back to this story and he reminds them that this story is firmly established in the Bible and God in his own wisdom made it in such a way that it is a story that we see with our eyes as we, we, as we break those elements. We see them. We feel as we touch them. We smell. We hear as the story of the communion is read to us. And we taste that reminder. And so the Holy Communion not only reminds the believer the starting point of their call, but it reminds them the starting point of their being sent until Jesus returns. So the believer is not only therefore called to be part of this story of the Holy Communion, of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but is called to be an extension of it. As you eat of it and become part of it, and as he calls you, he expects you now to go forth and tell the story to other people and that is our mission and that is why in verse 23 to 26 of the book of chapter 11 he says for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you the Lord Jesus Christ on the night he was betrayed he took the bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way after the after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, some of the people in Corinth, of course, with all those divisions, some were saying, you know, I belong to Christ. In other words, they were saying, you know, these people are so divided. This church is so divided. I don't even want to be part of it. I'm just going to live on my own. I don't even want to be part of a CLG. I don't want to be even part of an affinity group. I don't want to be part of any fellowship. They, they, they're, just, they're just immature. They're, they're confused. I'm not going to be part of it. But Paul also reminds us here that being part of a community, being part of a group, is the way God has chosen or assigns us to be part of what he's doing. Because Jesus calls the twelve and brings them together. And he shares the Holy Communion with the twelve apostles. It was not by mistake. Because if you look at the Passover celebration from the Old Testament, in which Jesus was celebrating on that particular day, the Passover celebration 
The people celebrated in communities because they would slaughter the Passover lamb and they had to eat all of it that same night. And anything that was left would be burnt, the whole, all of it. So in a, in a community, if maybe a family was too small, it would call another family so that there could be this community. And so you would have between 10 to 20 people in one place, in one house. As much as the whole of Israel was eating of this, there was that small group that was eating. And so God is reminding us that he assigns us to groups, he assigns us to teams. It is a godly thing. Christians are to gather around this story of the Last Supper, of the Holy Communion. Because it's the foundational story. We remind each other, we encourage one another when we are in a group. This story where we find the meaning of our lives. So that if I'm getting lost, another friend will come and say, this is, this is our foundational story. This is what gave us the meaning of life from the very beginning. It was not Reverend, it was not Reverend Martin, it was not Reverend Chihale, it was not Reverend Pitson. It is, it is Christ. Let us go back to that particular story. The communion was not individualistic. It is very deliberate. And so all in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the whole concept of being in fellowship and being in koinonia, where we care, where we support, where we walk with one another, becomes important. So you cannot just say, ah, me, I just belong to Christ. I'm tired of all this church. I'm tired of this small group. I'm tired of these people. No. Paul, uh, God reminds us, Paul reminds us that Christ shared it with the 12. And I think that's why in Hebrews chapter 10 from verse 19, it says, Therefore, Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter into the whole, most holy place by the blood of Christ, by a new and living way open for us through the, the curtain that is, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere hearts and with full assurance that faith, that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure waters. Let us hold unswaveringly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approach. Don't give up the meeting of one another. It is godly. It is an assignment. It is the way God has chosen to bring about his church and to make his, call his church and, and given it that mission and sent it and he does it in groups. In fact, when he was sending out some of his disciples, he would send them two by two because there is that concept of team to encourage. Even Paul himself in Galatians chapter 2 from verse 1 to 2, to two he says that I've, uh, then after 14 years, I went up again to, to, to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I had preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running, I, I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. He went to the apostles and asked them, this is what I'm teaching. Is it the right kind of a teaching? That is what the, 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 the team does. And although this team brings about, it, it, it reminds us about the Christian unity. The bread, the disciples ate is a symbol that the church is one body. The, the loaf was one. In, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, the, just the, the, the chapter that is previous, it says this in verse 17. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share in one loaf. It reminds us of the unity of Jesus Christ. The bread and the blood 
but the community of redeemed sinners, all on the same ground before an almighty God. People who could not previously walk along can now get along because of Christ bringing us together. And I think that's why Philippians, Ephesians rather, chapter 2 from verse 11 says, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at, at, at that particular time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's bringing us together. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barriers, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside his flesh, the law, with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one humanity out of the two. That's making peace. And in, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we have access to the Father by one spirit. And so the Holy Communion reminds us that together as a group we have this access and we've been made one. And the walls of hostility have been broken. We are one. He says, consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens, fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Build on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. The foundation of our story. In him, the whole building is being joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. God is building us together as a team that he may live in us because we are his temple. And so there is not that sense of individualism in the word of God. But that does not remove the distinct roles that we have. And like Emmanuel was reminding us, some of the songs we are singing are so personal because God holds us personally. Whenever we go, whenever we do things in a team that are not right. And that is why in, 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 he says this uh, in uh, chapter 11, verse 27. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body of the Lord. You are held responsible, personally responsible for whoever as an individual. So we must take our distinct roles seriously. But what message do we take out there? Paul reminds us that around the Holy Communion, the message we take there is about what has already happened in the past. In verse 24 he says, and then after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Always remember the foundation of the story. What he has already done. And then in the same way, after taking the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my body. Whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Because at the core of the gospel is Jesus who identified with humanity. All of us as, human, as sinners. And he brought us back to God. He identified with us. And that is why Paul is concerned about the people in Corinth. They are not identifying with each other the way the Lord Jesus Christ identified with us. And so the message that they are projecting to the world 
is a message that is contrary to what Jesus did. Although he was sinless, he would have said, I have no sin. But he came and he identified with us. He stood in the line of sinners to be baptized by John the Baptist. He was there with us. He identified to that with us to the extent that he died for us. So that is the message we take forward. That Jesus has identified with us. The second message that we take forward is that message that is brought to us through the Holy Spirit. The proclamation. That is the now. Do it as often as you can. Doing it every now and then that we can. When the Lord Jesus Christ, after he had been crucified when he was going to heaven, he said, he's going to leave us a helper that will walk with us. He says in verse 36, for whoever eats this bread and, and, and drinks this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. So whenever we're eating it, we are proclaiming the Lord's death. But you and I understand that we cannot proclaim the Lord's death without the Holy Spirit. And so we... When we come together, the Holy Spirit is in our midst to help us to proclaim. And that is why Jesus told the disciples, don't leave until the Holy Spirit comes. Because it is he who can be able to walk with us and to help us as we proclaim. But also we proclaim the message of God the Father. Future. Not only do we think about the past, not only do we think about what we are doing now, but we look at the future. What we are anticipating in the future. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And I think that's why in Revelation we are reminded that we are going to be reconciled back to God. When everything has been completed, when sin has no longer any hold on us, and we shall meet God face to face. And so what's our motivation? What, what should be our motivation? Even as we fulfill our mission. Fulfill our mission of proclaiming our story. Looking at the, the one who has called us and the one who sent us. Looking at our story being a community of God's people. And looking at our story as individuals with, with distinct roles. Our first motivation is Jesus Christ himself. In, in John chapter 13 verse 3 to 5. It's an interesting story. It says that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He's just been given, he's just, all things have just been put under his power. And he's, he's returning to God. That would have been a man feeling powerful and would have looked down upon everybody. But God is telling us that when you're secure, when you know who you are, when you know your original story, when you know your starting point, and you know where you're going, then you're confident to serve people. Then you're confident to work with people. You're confident to help people. Be it in a group, be it among yourselves. Instead of dividing the church of Christ, you then serve God's people. Jesus walked with a team. We can look to him and to be motivated. Teams, groups are so complex. Even it could be a workplace. It could be in a church and you're sealed. Groups are generally complex. Jesus was dealing with people who are difficult. Some of them were ignorant of even the cost that he was about. Some of them were fearful. 
But some were simply evil and toxic. And Jesus walked with all of them. Some would forsake him at a, at a, a moment, at a critical moment when he needed them most. Some would betray him in the worst manner. Come to kissing, come kissing him. Trying to show him we love you. But in reality, they were betraying him. That is the nature of groups. And these are the kind of things that can encourage, discourage people from walking with believers, from discipling believers, from being Christ-like and, and being in fellowship with believers. But we look at Jesus and say, if Jesus did it, surely we can do it. Is a, is, is a group that you're supposed to be walking with, do they, does it have young believers? Does it have ignorant believers? Does it have arrogant people? Does it have toxic people? Does it have people in that particular team who just discourage the team in the sense that they are just passive? They, they, they don't even participate the way they should. And it's very easy to feel discouraged. Some of them will come even as late as they want when you know you're supposed to be starting in good time. But Jesus motivates us. And we can be motivated by him. In fact, in Mark chapter 10 and also Matthew chapter 20, well, Jesus is just carrying out his ministry. James and John's mother, they come and ask him for special favor. They want, they want certain positions in the kingdom. One wants to be the chief minister, another one wants to be the vice president, and so on and so forth, and say, we want to sit on your right and on your left, and all that. And then, of, of course, after the other ten heard about these things, they, were, they said they were indignant. But that's when Jesus told them that the rulers of this world loaded over to others. Because so much of our leadership we, it's about an exercise in our egos. It's about an exercise in our desires for self-promotion, for manipulation. But Jesus calls us that for us to work with people the way he wants us to work with people, to fulfill what he has sent us to fulfill, we must be like him. Even when people misunderstand, even when people have the wrong causes, we guide them. Because Jesus guided his disciples. The second reason for us to be motivated is actually Paul himself, the apostle Paul himself. Paul finds himself in this pastoral position with the Corinthians. He's dealing with a church that has sent him this letter to decide on various issues. Most of the, the church, like I said a bit earlier, is divided. Following this leader and following that uh, leader and all that. And, and, and when they come to the Holy Communion, when they come to the Lord's table, with all those divisions, with their lawsuits, with their tribal views, they just fail to understand what the meaning of this original story of theirs is. You see, the Romans had a 10 working day week. Whereas the Christians, those who had come now from the Jewish background, they had a seven working, I mean, they had a seven week, uh, uh, seven day week. Whereas the Roman had a seven-day week. So when the Christians began to meet around the communion, they would usually meet on a working day because many of them would meet on the seventh day to share in the, in the Lord's Supper. That means meeting on a work day means they would have to meet in the evening. So what happens here is there are those who owned businesses, those who were the owners of the, the businesses that were happening. These, these ones were, they were, they were much more wealthier. And so what they would do is they would have more flexibility, they would have, they would have more flexi time, they would, they, they had, their, their time was more flexible, they would decide when to go home, when not to go home. And so these ones would go and make food, rich food and drinks, 
and they would they would come to the church early and of course because they have the time and they would they would they would have this fellowship among themselves eating and drinking and some of them like i said had been visiting idol temples and for them this thing about communion it was about orgies and getting drunk then a little later there are those uh, such as the tradespeople, the silver workers the bricklayers and all those that work from eight to five these ones would eventually they would now come but they wouldn't go home to be able to cook they would probably get something along the way or even if they had carried food they would come with it but it wouldn't be as rich as those who had come a little earlier and then finally they would come the slaves now the slaves couldn't come early because they had to put uh, the dogs in place they had to put their master's children to bed and 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 do all those things that uh, the slaves would do at this particular time and of course they would not have brought food most of the time because it would have been seen as views it would have been viewed as though they were stealing and so they were by the time the slaves come those who are well off would have already fed and they would actually be drunk some would be high on this alcohol of theirs but the slaves had nothing by this particular time to eat and that is why Paul says in verse 17, your meetings are doing more harm than good. Your meetings are doing damage. And he tells them, so when you people are coming together, it's not the Lord's table you're eating. Because some of you are going ahead to eat with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry, another drunk. In other words, what was happening is they were looking down to those who don't have. They were looking down to others, maybe because of where they come from. And so people here are coming together. Instead of building Christian unity and mutual edification, they have developed into parties within the church. They are, they are, they are, they are, they are portraying to the world this divided spirit. Paul says that is not good. Because the bread it itself is supposed to tell you we are one. The bread itself is to remind you how Jesus himself behaved. Even though he was royal, he was one with God. He came down and identified with us. He tells the believers you need to be able to identify with people. You need to be able to engage the world. You need to be able to reach out to the world in a meaningful way. And that you start within yourselves. And that is why for Paul himself giving his own example in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, which Reverend Gary preached from verse 19 to 23, he says, For although I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, I came under the law as one under the law that I might win those who are under the law. And to those without the law as without the law, not being without law towards God but under the law towards Christ that I might win those who are without the law to the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some Paul is saying I've become flexible as a messenger not becoming exclusive not becoming divisive in God's people that I may be able to identify with people why so that I may win some for Christ who are you identifying with? Are you discouraged by the people around you? The people you're supposed to be encouraging or the people who are supposed to be encouraging you? Paul says, look, I've become flexible that I can be able to relate with everybody and bring them to Christ. He says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel 
In other words, I want to be a participant in the gospel. In that original story, even as I take the Holy Communion, I want to be part of it. I want to be able to proclaim it. That I might be a participant in the way that I live my life. The way I cherish people. The way I identify with people. That I might myself be a participant in the gospel. And that is why in Philippians chapter 3, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. So that he's not just following Christ to enjoy the good things of Christ, but also to sacrifice where he needs to sacrifice that he may be a participant in the gospel. He wants to be preaching and living by participating in its very existence, even dying to self, taking up the cross, identifying with others, just like Christ identified with others. And that's why he says, follow me as I follow Christ. He is living out the gospel in itself. The final point is judgment. It is very scary what God says about his people. He says, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. And if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred. And you together are that temple. When we begin to destroy one another, when we begin to cause divisions in God's church, God takes note. And he tells the Corinthians, some of you are sick, some are weak, and some have died. And the reason for that is because you are being judged. Some of you may remember in John chapter 5, from verse 6 to all the way to 14, there was this man who had been at the temple for 38 years. He had been sick and down there for 38 years. And so Jesus comes and asks him, do you want to get well? The man said, yes, I want. Then Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Then at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat. And then things happened there because it was Sabbath and the people were looking for Jesus to kill him. And they found the man and they asked him, what is all this thing about you getting healed? Later on, in, Jesus finds him and he tells him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning. Or something worse may happen to you. What's happening? What he's being told here is you may face judgment. Or you're facing judgment as a result of sin. And the sin against God people brings about judgment. So may it be that we will not be those who cause divisions. May it be that we will not be those who confuse God's people because of our selfishness, because of our smallness, but that we shall build the church of Jesus Christ. And that when we come to the Holy Communion, we'll realize that Jesus Christ has come down and had his body broken and blood shed so that we can come to him, but so that we can bring others to him by the way we live our lives in unity, walking with one another. May the Lord bless his word today. Let's pray together. Our loving Father, we want to worship you and to bless you this day. That it has pleased you to call us to be part of the body of Jesus Christ. We are not worthy. We are weak. We keep forgetting our story. But we thank you that you've left this institution of the Holy Communion. So that when we come to it, it reminds us of where we've come from. It reminds us of where we are. And it reminds us of where we are going. It reminds us of you who called us 
And it reminds us of you who has sent us to make disciples of all nations. May we be found to be faithful in Jesus' name. Has this message challenged you? We hope that it has been a blessing in your life. If you would like to give your life to Christ or talk to or pray with someone, kindly reach us on WhatsApp 0721 990 880. God bless you.